We've been, as a church, most of this year moving through the book of 1 Corinthians, which is a letter that Paul wrote to a church in Corinth. And we would have to be fair in saying that this was a pretty dysfunctional group of people. Um, I don't like to rank churches as to how good they are, how dysfunctional they are, but if I did... Corinth would be on that list of being one that when my daughter says, hey, I'm thinking about moving away, um, and I'm going to move to Corinth. Do you have a good church that you could recommend there, Dad? I'd be like, have a good look around. I'm not sure that church in Corinth is fantastic for you or not. Um, It's funny, though, that as we've been reading the, the letter, haven't we, there's been parts of it that are a bit like a mirror very easy to throw stones at other churches and say, wow, what a bunch of dysfunctional people. Until God starts using his spirit to poke you in the chest a little bit and say, oh, hang on, don't throw the stones too far. All right. There's some things that I've needed to deal with that we have needed to reflect on. And maybe there will be again today. Um, Before I read the passage that we're looking at in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, let me be upfront. This may either make you sit forward on your seat to wonder, oh, what are we going to say? Or you're going to start thinking, did I come to the right church today? All right. That may be two options that you're going to think today, because the two things that we're going to talk about all morning this morning are tongues and prophecy. All right. Two spiritual gifts. I'm only really giving them this much attention simply because Paul gives them this much attention. So I'm just going to follow his lead on it. All right. Um, This chapter is primarily about the spiritual gift of tongues, we're going to talk about that, and the spiritual gift of prophecy, we're going to talk about that. All right, that's the focus of this morning. So just up front, that's what we're doing. And just in case you sort of thought, man, you know, those, those gifts seem really contentious. Right? There's so such a huge variation of opinions out there in In churches, amongst Christians, Um, there's people that I know who are Christians and they feel very strongly about these two gifts and they've got a certain opinion that they hold. And there are other Christians who have completely the opposite opinion. It seems really contentious, Chris. And you're right, it is. In fact, I would say it's no more contentious now than it was in the first century. Hence, Paul writes an entire chapter to a church in Corinth who seemed to be really um, getting it all a bit mixed up in their thinking. And Paul wants to address that, right? So we want to just look at what Paul has to say about it. So that's the focus this morning. We're going to talk about tongues a fair bit. We're going to talk about prophecy a fair bit. So let me be very clear, again, just in this letter, the context in how we're going to talk about tongues and how we're going to talk about prophecy Paul is going to deal with those two subject matters and he has a specific place in mind that he's addressing those topics in. And that is the church when it's gathered. All right. So when Paul talks about tongues and he's talking about prophecy, and I'm going to try and point it out as I go, he's not specifically talking about tongues and prophecy in your own personal experience of living as a Christian. In fact, I think that will hopefully become clearer as he 
talks about it, but he very carefully and very specifically wants to address the church in Corinth and therefore all churches everywhere when we get together just like we're doing this morning. How should we think about the gift of tongues and how should we think about the gift of prophecy when the church gathers together? Right, just again, just to be really clear, the church here in Raymond Terrace Community Church does not cease to exist at 11 o'clock. In fact, let's just be fair, quarter past 11, all right? It doesn't cease to exist when the church service finishes. You are still Raymond Terrace Community Church. If you call this your church, you are still a part of Raymond Terrace Community Church at 5 o'clock on Sunday afternoon, or at 10 a.m. on Tuesday morning, or any other time throughout the week. We are always Raymond Terrace Community Church. Yet, on Sunday mornings, because that's the time that we've chosen, Sunday mornings, the church that has been scattered throughout the neighbourhoods and throughout the towns around this area, all jumps in their car, some get here, ride on, 9.30, or a bit before, or a bit after, days like today, it could be 10.30, daylight savings. But we, we get here, and uh, we are the church gathered, right? It's a unique expression of Raymond Terrace Community Church that happens when we gather together. Paul wants to address tongues and prophecy when we gather. That clear? All right. The goal of this Paul's letter and the goal of what I want to do this morning is although we're going to talk about tongues and prophecy, that's not really the goal. The goal is to build up the church and help people love Jesus more. All right? That's Paul's goal. That's my goal. I hope... My prayer has been that as you walk out this morning, you might have some questions about tongues and prophecy. You might even be sort of saying, oh, I'd really like to talk to Chris more about that or one of the pastoral team about that. I've got some questions about it. That's fine. But what I hope this morning will happen is that you will see Jesus as beautiful and you'll want to give all your affections and your mind and your heart and your strength to him and say, that's who this is about. All right, because that's Paul's goal, that's the church's goal as they gather together. It's my goal this morning. In saying all of that, let's read it together. We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 14. We're just going to read from verse 1 down to verse 25. I am going to reference some other verses in this chapter to help fill in some blanks for us as we go, but really the main reading that I want to focus on is 1 through 25. I'm going to read from the Christian Standard Bible. I'll have it on the screen if you need to follow along, if you're having difficulty doing so. Otherwise, follow along in your Bible. That's best. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, starting from verse 1. Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in another tongue is not speaking to people, but to God, since no one understands him. He speaks mysteries in the Spirit. On the other hand, the person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement and consolation. The person who speaks in another tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. 
I wish all of you spoke in other tongues, but even more that you prophesied. The person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in other tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Even lifeless instruments that produce sounds, whether flute or harp, if they don't make a distinction in the notes, how will what is played on the flute or harp be recognised? In fact, if the bugle makes an unclear sound, who will prepare for battle? In the same way, unless you use your tongue for intelligible speech, how will what is spoken be known? For you will be speaking into the air. There are doubtless many different kinds of languages in the world. None is without meaning. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I will be a foreigner to the speaker. And the speaker will be a foreigner to me. So also you. Since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, seek to excel in building up the church. Therefore, the person who speaks in another tongue should pray that he can interpret. For if I pray in another tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the spirit and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing with the spirit and I will also praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the spirit... How will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not know what you're saying? For you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. I thank God that I speak in other tongues more than all of you. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in another tongue. Brothers and sisters, don't be childish in your thinking, but be infants in regards to evil and adult in your thinking. It is written in the law. I will speak to this people by people of other tongues and by the lips of foreigners, and even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Speaking in other tongues then is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If, therefore, the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in another tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say that you are out of your minds? But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he's convicted by it all, he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart will be revealed and as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming, God is really among you. That's the reading we're going to focus on this morning. Lord, I need your help. Um, I don't want to misspeak what you are saying, so Lord, guide my mouth. But Lord, help us all to have ears to hear what you will say today. Lord, we want to make much of Jesus 
We don't want to speak pointless words. And so, Lord, be honoured amongst us, we pray in your word. Amen. All right. The way that I'm going to focus on this is just try and break it into those two big categories. Paul talks a lot about tongues and he talks a lot about prophecy. I know we, it is, they're big subject matters and we've just got half an hour or so. And so um, we're just going to hit on the main points, the main highlights as we go. So I've got a broken up a couple of big questions. This is going to be a little bit analytical, I know, but hopefully it's going to help us move through it. So let's start with tongues. And uh, the first question about tongues that we could ask is, well, what are they? All right, what are they? And so I've tried to summarise from this passage and um, outside this passage, we've got lots of examples in the Bible of people speaking in tongues. And so I've answered it like this. Um, They are a language unknown to the speaker and the hearer of either human or angelic origin. Okay, so that's my summary of what are tongues. A language unknown to the speaker and the hearer of either human or angelic origin. So I want you to think in particular, one of the first places this happens is back in Acts chapter 2. You might be thinking of that period of time after Jesus has died. There's a period of time where he stays with his disciples and then he ascends to the Father. And remember, he said to his disciples, hey, don't leave Jerusalem. This is the beginning of Acts, Acts chapter 1. Don't leave Jerusalem, but wait, right? Wait for the, the gift of God. Wait for the power of God. And then you will be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And so they wait, they do, and they all gathered in the upper room. Do you remember that story? Acts chapter 2, and the, um, they're praying, they're fearful, right? They're, they're worried that the people who came and collected Jesus and, and crucified him will do the same to them. And they're praying, they're, they're waiting, and it says in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost had arrived... They were all gathered in one place and suddenly a sound like that of a violent rushing wind came from heaven. You ever been somewhere when a windstorm hit? That sound, it sounds like things are being ripped apart, torn apart, roofs coming off. That that happened. If they were scared before, I can't imagine what they were thinking right now. Not only that, it says it filled the whole house where they were staying. Verse 3 says, they saw tongues like flames, not tongues as in like flames. They saw tongues like flames of fire that separated and rested on each one of them. Now I'm thinking they are all really, really freaking out, right? Verse 4, this is the most significant thing. Then, then they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. And they began to speak in different tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were Jews staying in Jerusalem, verse 5. There were Jews staying in Jerusalem, devout people from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, a crowd came together and was confused because each one heard them speaking in his own language. 
right? They were astounded and amazed, saying, Look, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Read there. Look, aren't all those who are speaking stupid fishermen? I'm paraphrasing, but Galileans weren't exactly known for being highly educated. They were the salt of the earth folk, farmers and fishermen. Not known to be highly educated, multilingual, well-cultured in language and culture from all around the world. They just knew how to catch fish really well and grow a crop really well. And so everyone's looking at them going, hang on, these people are Galileans. How can they be speaking in my language? And then, I'm not going to bother trying to read it, you can just have a look at it. Verse 8. How is it that each of them can hear us in our own native language? Verse 9, Parthians, Medes, Elamites, and it just goes on and on, right? What they're doing is they're listing all the different type of linguistic groups scattered from all over that part of the known world. And they're saying, we can hear them. Verse 11, we hear them declaring the magnificent acts of God in our own tongues, They were all astounded and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? I cut the reading off there. Some people just went, ah, they're just drunk. I've heard people talking in tongues when they're drunk. But not a language I understood, all right? The point is, back to my summary of what tongues are, one of the places that you can go to to see people speaking in tongues, the most famous of places of them speaking in tongues, What they were speaking was languages that are spoken somewhere else in the world, all right? And so, yes, tongues were unknown to the speaker. The tongue was not necessarily, was unknown to the hearer as well, apart from the ones who specifically spoke that language from a certain place. They were like, how come, how come, I'm I'm from Bithynia. How come these guys know how to speak the Bithynian dialect, all right? They could understand it. But then elsewhere, like in 1 Corinthians 13 that we dealt with last week, Paul makes an inference there in verse 1 where he says, listen, if I speak human or angelic tongues but do not have love, I'm a noisy gong or clanging cymbal, it would seem to me that Paul infers, yes, tongues could be human in origin, but it's quite possible that tongues might be angelic in origin as well. I don't know what those angelic phrases are. I would assume that they're not really intelligible to us if we don't know how to speak the angelic tongue. (laughs) But Paul makes a point, it's not his main point in verse 1, he's trying to make a point that even if you had that tongue ability to speak angelic tongues, and if you don't do that with love, he says you might as well not have it at all. Right? It's not worth anything. It's a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And I made a really, I made a joke last week that I didn't like the cymbals. And then I met a young girl at, after the church who was, who was visiting. She was a percussionist. <laughs> not only was she a percussionist, her soul, her soul specialty was, guess what? A cymbalist. She was so gracious. She was, she really, she didn't, she didn't drag me over the coals and tell me about how important that job is 
I still don't like the symbols very much, but I'm, I'm let off the hook a little bit because not only symbols get in the firing line last week, this week, man, Paul goes on about flutes and harps and bugles, right? So um, it's not just symbolists that are a problem. So that's what tongues are. A unknown language to both the speaker, mostly to the hearer, they can be either human or angelic in origin. But what do they accomplish? What do they accomplish? What do tongues accomplish is the next question worth considering from this passage. Well, here's my summary taken from out of this passage. They are an act of personal edification which means edification means building up. So they are an act of personal edification and worship unless they are accompanied by a translation. So let's have a look at the passages that show us that. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 2. Paul says, For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people. All right? He's not building people up in that way. He's not speaking to people. He's speaking to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the Spirit. Right? So what do they accomplish? They are personal edification. They don't edify the rest of the church. They don't build the rest of the church up in that way. And Paul says, because they're speaking to God, not to people. Or verse 4, 1 Corinthians 14, verse 4. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Have a look at verse 6. Paul says, So now, brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? He's inferring, you won't have any benefit from these tongues because you won't understand what I'm saying. Then in verses 14 and verse 15, have a look at that. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. What then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the Spirit, and I will also sing praise with my understanding. Again, Paul's inferring. There's prayer and song that can be offered in the Spirit, and while you benefit, nobody else around you, when the church gathers, does. So that's what they accomplish. So then the next question that I ask is, well, then how should they be practiced? Now, I know we're getting into some dicey ground here because potentially you might come from a history where you go, well, they shouldn't be practiced at all, Chris. All right. Or maybe you come from a church background where you've seen tongues practiced a lot in your church background. Christians differ on this. Um, I'm not even really trying to get into that debate this morning. I simply want to look at this passage and say, what does Paul say how they should be practiced? And then, and then we can have the discussion about whether or not they are continuing or not on another occasion maybe, but there's a lot for us to consider here this morning anyway. How should they be practiced? 
One, primarily, and I would say Paul says preferably, tongues should be practiced in private. That's what Paul says in this passage. We'll look at the verses here in a moment. Primarily and preferably, tongues should be practiced in private. But two, corporately, which means when you're gathered together as a church, then only two or three at a most, at any one time, should practice tongues and only if there is someone to interpret them. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 6. Brothers and sisters, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I speak to you with a revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? Verse 13 says, Therefore the person who speaks in a tongue should pray that he can interpret. If you want it to be a benefit to everybody in the gathered church, then there needs to be interpretation. Verses 15 down to verse 19 says, What then? I will pray with the Spirit. I will also pray with my understanding. I will sing praise with the Spirit. I will also sing praise with my understanding. Otherwise, if you praise with the Spirit, how will the outsider say amen at your giving of thanks? since he does not know what you are saying. I'm not sure you realize just how important saying amen is. In Paul's thinking, saying amen, being able to say amen in the church service is really important. It doesn't just mean good one, all right? It's not like giving a love symbol or a thumbs up on Facebook. Saying amen is basically verbally walking over and putting your hands on the, ha- on the shoulders of the speaker, laying hands on them, associating you with them and saying, I agree. I'm standing with my brother or I'm standing with my sister in absolute solidarity with what's just been said. Paul says when someone gets up and preach, uh, speaks or sings or prays in tongues and there is no interpretation Nobody can say amen because no one knows what's being said. All right? And he says, look, it's really important. Someone should be able to say amen. Verse 17, for you may very well be giving thanks, but the other person is not being built up. Can you see Paul's Paul's primary objective here is what? I want you to be built up. I want everybody in this room to be able to walk away and just go, yeah, amen. Man, my spirit was lifted up in worship because of what my brother or my sister was able to say this morning. This is about the body being built up and coming to love Jesus more and more. Paul gets a bit competitive in this little passage. Verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than Any of you, more than all of you, right? Paul is not against tongues. And that's what I want you to hear this morning. This morning, it's quite possible, sitting here this morning, that you you may know, God has given me the gift of tongues. Praise God. It is a special gift. 
enabling you to be able to enjoy and be edified in your spirit and worship God. And no one is saying that it's not important. No one is saying that it is second rate. What Paul says, when we get together, when we gather together, it's actually more important that everybody else get built up, not just you. All right? Outside of the gathered church, you'll see by Paul's, what he's going to say shortly. And what Paul says about his own life, he says, man, when it comes to speaking in tongues, I leave all of you guys in the dust. I'm speaking in tongues all the time, Paul says. I speak it in more than anybody. Verse 19, yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding in order to teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. Five words that will build somebody else up way more in God's economy than 10,000 words that don't. Now, uh, verse 23, Paul says, If therefore the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in tongues, and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, Will they not say that you are out of your minds? Right? The whole church is here. We're all speaking in tongues. Someone comes in. They've never been to church before. They've been wondering, questioning about God. And they walk in. You know what? I'm going to go to that church at Raymond Terrace. I've heard good things about them. And they walk in the door. They don't even get past the tiles, right? We're all here worshipping, having an amazing time, being edified in our spirit because of our, our tongue gift. And they walk in. All right? These, these guys are a bunch of loonies. They turn around and walk out. That's what Paul says. Paul says that's what will happen. In fact, if I walked in and that was happening, I'm... I'm telling you now, I'm thinking, you bunch of loonies, I'm going to walk out. Now, I said that we're going to primarily look at verses 1 through 25, but, but we're going to skip out of it again because Paul's going to fill in some blanks for us that we're going to focus a little bit more in the context next week. But I want you to just sort of pull something here, some instructions. Verse 26, Paul says, What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Everything's to be done for building up. Hear that? Everything is to be done for building up. If anyone speaks in a tongue, there are to be only two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no interpreter, that person is to keep silent in the church and speak to himself and to God. Pretty clear? I think it's pretty clear. All right? There are some dangers. What are the dangers to tongues? Um, one, one of the dangers in tongues is there can be a lack of building others up. And Paul's made that fairly clear, that the gift of tongues is primarily for the individual, for their edification as they worship with God. It's a special gift. But if it's used without consideration of other people, 
There can be a lack of building others up, which can look like a puffing yourself up. All right? I'm not concerned for other people's edification. This is just about me and my special gift that I have with God. That's one of the dangers. The second danger is tongues can be a poor gospel witness. Again, when they're used outside of the bounds that Paul sets here. They can be a poor gospel witness, which can, can cause confusion amongst outsiders. So we read verses 4 onwards. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. And Paul says, listen, I, I wish that all of you spoke in tongues, which means not everyone does. Just as I, I wish that all of you did, which means not everyone did. But even more than wishing that everyone spoke in tongues, in verse 5, Paul says, I wish that even more of you prophesied. Because the person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues. Let me be very clear, what he's not saying is they're more important. But in the context of who can build up the gathered church... The person with the gift of prophecy can build up the gathered church more than the person who speaks in tongues can. That's why he says the person who prophesies is greater than the person who speaks in tongues unless he interprets so that the church may be built up. Right? And it goes on. So that's, that's some of the things that we need to think about with tongues. Um, what about... Prophecy. Prophecy. What is it? Prophecy is a specific, it would seem, a specific revelation of truth, consistent with God's already revealed truth that is applied to a specific situation. Um, the Bible certainly presents prophecy all the way through the Bible different styles of prophecy, different types of prophecy. Maybe the most recognisable form of prophecy that you've, you're thinking of right now is the one about foretelling or future telling, right? So we still have that idea of prophecy being someone who can you know, prophesy the future. But future telling isn't the only form of prophecy in the Bible. In fact, even amongst the Old Testament prophets, um, Brother Rolf, thank you for sharing that. Great reminder this morning at the devotion by Watchman Nee about the prophet who once was useful to God but had failed to pursue his connection with him. I think that was a really helpful. I was encouraged by it, mate. Um, there are prophets all the way through the Bible, right? In fact, vast proportions of the Old Testament are made up of prophets, the books of prophecy. And future telling isn't their only gig. It's not what they just do. In fact, amongst many of the Old Testament prophets, much of their ministry as prophets was actually about not so much telling people of the future, but reminding them of the past. Much of a prophet's ministry was to say, remember what God did and remember what you said you would do. And then saying, you have failed to do it. And because you have failed to do it, you need to know how God will respond. Much of their ministry was reminding people what they had forgotten 
or what they were ignoring. A prophet's primary job job description was to declare God's word to a specific people at a specific time and for a specific purpose. And most importantly, only when God said to speak. So God would come to the prophet and say, Isaiah or Jeremiah or whoever it was that he said, he said, I want you to go, go and speak, go and tell, go and say. So that's what prophecy is. But what does it accomplish? What does prophecy accomplish? In the New Testament, as Paul writes about it, prophecy builds up the church. Edifies is the terminology. It builds up the church through, and he says, strengthening, encouraging, and consoling, and so that all may learn. That's the goal. That's what it accomplishes. Have a look in verses 1 through 5 of chapter 14 again. We've read some of these verses, so we'll just skip through some of it. Verse 1, pursue love. That's reminder of last week, verse chapter 13. Pursue love, but desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you may prophesy. For the person who speaks in a tongue is not speaking to people, but to God. Since no one understands him, he speaks mysteries in the spirit. Verse 3, on the other hand, The person who prophesies speaks to people for their strengthening, encouragement and consolation. The person who speaks in a tongue builds himself up, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. Down in verse 31, have a look in 31. Paul says, for you can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. So, strengthening, encouragement, consolation, and learning are the outcomes of prophecy. So, how should it be practiced? Well, again, Paul says corporately, when you gather together, two, at the most, three. And then he says, with the rest of the church, weighing up what is said. And each prophet speaking in order. Um, Verse 22 says, speaking in tongues then is intended as a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is not for unbelievers, but for believers. If the whole church assembles together and all are speaking in tongues and people who are outsiders or unbelievers come in, will they not say, you're out of your minds? We dealt with that. But if all are prophesying and some unbeliever or outsider comes in, he's convicted by all and is called to account by all. Secrets of his heart will be revealed. And as a result, he will fall face down and worship God, proclaiming God is really among you. Verse 26 What then, brothers and sisters, whenever you come together, each one has a hymn, a teaching, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. Everything's to be done for building up. Verse 29, two or three prophets should speak. The others should evaluate. If something's been revealed to one person sitting there, the first prophet should be silent. You can all prophesy one by one so that everyone may learn and everyone may be encouraged. The prophet's spirits are subject to the prophets, since God's not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. Verse 39 says, So then, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy. 
right? To think about how am I going to build up the church, be eager to prophesy, and don't forbid speaking in tongues. All right, here's how I want to finish, though. Remember that Paul said that there's a better way. He said, yes, you can pursue gifts. We talked about that back in chapter 12. You can pursue the gifts. In fact, I would say that the Corinthian church was getting things all topsy-turvy. The, the gift of tongues was what they were pursuing. And Paul was correcting this. He was saying, hey, listen, tongues are fantastic. I wish, in fact, I can speak in tongues more than all of you. I wish you could all speak in tongues. That's fantastic. But that's not the point. Remember a better way. So verse 1 of chapter 14 starts, pursue love. Remember, that's the, that's the better way. How do I love my church? Pursue love, desire spiritual gifts, and especially that you can prophesy, especially the gift that will build people up. Because the goal of all of these gifts, not just prophecy, not just tongues, is to build up the church. Build up into what? Where are the gifts meant to direct our gaze? We've already had someone reading from Ephesians this morning. You could go to Ephesians 4, for sake of time I won't, but I'd love for you to go and have a look at it this afternoon. Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 15, describe the church being built up. And guess how verse 15 finishes? Speaking the truth in love, let us grow in every way into him who is the head, which is Christ. A church being built up begins to look more and more like Jesus because they learn to love Jesus more and more. And that's what these tongues and what these prophecy gifts are meant to do. The gifts are meant to help us grow into Jesus. They're meant to help us see him for who he is. To see him as beautiful, right? To see him as lovely. And that our sole desire over all the false desires of this world would be Jesus. So whatever gift the Spirit's given you. Maybe it's prophecy and you're thinking, well, how does that work here? I'd love to have that conversation with you. Maybe it's tongues. Maybe it's helping. Maybe it's leadership. Maybe it's hospitality. Whatever it is that God has given you to do to serve this body, it's so that other people will learn to love Jesus even more. Amen. All right? Let's pray. Lord, thank you. You've helped us, help us to continue to wrestle with your word and learn how it applies. We simply want to be a church that's obedient to your word. We want to be people obedient to your word. Not because it makes us better, in the sense of a better Christian or a more successful Christian, but we know that your word is life. And we want to submit our desires to your desires that you are our creator and you are our God and your word matters. So Lord, help us to live in line with it, we pray. For your sake and for our brothers and sisters' sake as they learn to love you more. Amen.